Romans 5, 8. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvest a crop of real life, eternal life. I like how that one came out in the, in the message Bible. That's why I used that one this morning. I just forgot to put up the message with it. David has just spent a little time trusting in himself and not in God. He's trying to do everything to escape Saul, and he has been for a while because, well, you know, if you think about it, Saul just doesn't like him. And Saul has been trying to kill him ever since he basically killed Goliath. And the women came out and sang him praises and put him above Saul. Well, right after he got through with that and Saul threw the spear at him the second time, he fled to Samuel's house where he ended up asking Samuel, what do I do? This is what's going on. And they had a prayer meeting. Well, Saul sent people to go get him and to kill him, and they just couldn't do it. Saul went himself, and we know that he couldn't get there either and ended up giving David a chance to flee where he went back to Jonathan and said, Jonathan, please tell me you're still with me. Tell me that you're not on your father's side now. I know he's trying to kill me, and I just I just got to know where his heart is. So he makes this deal, this deal with Jonathan, who says, I will make sure that I get you a message to tell you one way or the other. You're either going to be safe and be able to come back home, or you're going to have to flee for the rest of your life. Well, we know that he ends up fleeing for the rest of his life. Well, he gets done with this episode and he takes off and he does the one thing that we all should do ourselves when we have times of trouble. He went to the house of God where it was a perfect example for us to go there. But when he gets there, he's not there to go to God with the trouble, is he? Do you remember last week? When he shows up, Ahimelech comes out and says, why are you alone? What's going on? And David proceeds to lie to him. Well, unfortunately for him, a servant of Saul was there named Doeg. And Doeg, we know, not only heard what was done, but saw what was given. And David flees from that point. And he continues on to Gath. And in Gath, he's thinking to himself, well, I can find refuge here at this town. I'm surely they'll protect me, but his enemies there the Philistines, were excited. We've got our mortal enemy with us and we can sit there and we can have take him to the king and have him tortured and killed. But the king of Gath, Achish, he didn't want to have no part of this because David was pretending to be crazy. And he gets worried because he knows that when they put him in the jail waiting for the king to show up, he knows, he overhears them talking. Boy, we've just got this guy now. We can kill him. And David realizes that he's made some pretty stupid and harsh mistakes in his life just recently. And he turns back to God, who in some manner delivers the message. David, act like you're crazy. And it, it may have been something that was subconscious, but it could have been something very similar. David, you've been acting really crazy and literally out of your mind with the decisions and the actions that you've done lately, you should have brought it to me instead. 
With that in mind, David goes, wow. Okay, so he acts crazy. And the king Achish says, get the heck out of here. Much to the disappointment of his people because they wanted him tortured and killed just like they were going to do with Samson so many eons ago. And he says, if the man's really crazy, he can't hurt you. You're not going to kill him and I'm not going to keep him around to make him be tortured. His insanity, if he's insane, is torture enough. They throw him out the city gate and he gets down the road away. And I'm pretty sure he waited till he was away from them and out of hearing sight and started praising God. And he travels to another new place. And that's where we're going to pick up with 1 Samuel 22, verse 1, part 1. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. That doesn't really say a whole lot, does it? But when we unpack this just a little bit, David leaves and heads towards the city of Adullam. And in order to get to that city, he has to travel through one of his most famous places where he had a great victory. He has to pass through the valley of Elah, where he killed Goliath. Now, he may or may not have known there was a cave there, but from the entrance of that cave, you can overlook the valley. And this is what he was going to, this is what he will see from that cave entrance, that valley below. Now, from the entrance here, David may have been on this, this, this journey, and we know that his emotions have been this massive roller coasters of ups and downs. He kills Goliath with God's help, and he's on this mega high. He's praised by the women. He's still on that high. Then Saul comes after him, and he gets down a little, a little lower. Saul tries to kill him. He starts to begin to question everything that's going on. And as time goes on, we see that he falls into a depression. Only to be released from the Gath prison, coming up on a high again. But now he's in this cave and he's looking around and that depression starts to set in. And why would we think that? Because I'm sure that when he's sitting there, he's thinking to himself, wow, look at me. I've come a long way from that victory. I had people singing my praises. I had people that looked up to me. I was well-known. I was well-liked. And look at me now. I'm alone. I feel forsaken. I have to live like a criminal. Now look at me. I don't know what lies ahead. Now, that feels like he's a little depressed, if you ask me. And if we go to Psalm 142, verses 1 through 4, a, a miscal of David when he was there, when he was in the cave, a prayer. I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare my trouble before him. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. In the way where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, for there is no one who regards me. There is no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. You can sense that depression. It's setting in. The name of the cave of Adullam, when you, when you really look at the actual meaning, it, it, the cave itself means the cave of refuge. And David is sitting here in the cave of refuge, crying out that refuge has failed him. 
Do you know why David is crying out? He's crying out because God never intended that cave to be his refuge. God is supposed to be his refuge. Psalm 142.5, I cried out to you, O Lord, and I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. He finally realizes, this is not what I'm supposed to do. You're my refuge. I should rely on you. I should wait for you to give me all the protections that I need. He may have escaped to this cave thinking, I've got it made. Nothing can harm me here. But God worked in him and he realized that, no, this is not my refuge. You are it and you alone. We flip over to Psalm 57.1. For the choir director said to Al-Tashteth, a victim of David when he fled from Saul in a cave. Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. He continues to declare God is his refuge. My refuge is not found in my own cleverness at the tabernacle. I tried that and failed. My refuge is not in the ungodly at Gath. I tried that and failed there also. You, God, are my refuge. Not this cave. You're my refuge. 57, Psalm 57, verses 2 and 3. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. Selah. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. God is lifting his head up. When we think about it, when we get depressed, what do we do? We get that old, that old downtrodden, the shoulders sink, and God's raising that head up. He's lifting his spirits back up to where it needs to be. Psalm 57, verses 7 through 11. My heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. Awake, my glory. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God, and let your glory be above all the earth. David is totally encouraged at this point in time. And his heart is changed for the better. Not on his own, because God has lifted him up. God has changed his heart. God has allowed him to start pulling himself out of the depression. What about us? What about us in our day and age? When we are feeling that down in that, that same circumstance that he's in, you're feeling alone, you're feeling discouraged, you're going, is there anything else bad that can happen to me? We can't rely on man to do it, and we can't do it ourselves to dig ourselves out of this. When we are feeling down and out, depressed, discouraged, distressed in the earthly situations that we face, when we turn our eyes to God and God alone and read his word, don't you just get pumped up? Don't your spirits raise? Don't you get excited that God's there with you? I really hope so. Because if not, I think you're doing something wrong. Because God is always encouraging. 1 Samuel 21, part 2. And what his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Oh, wait a minute. His father and his brothers and all his family 
not only has God given David himself and raised him up, he also gives him his family. They did not get along all that well, if you remember right. Dad didn't even invite him to the, the feast where Samuel was going to anoint the next king, and he had to be told, you get him out of the field and bring him. He wasn't even invited. And remember his older brother, how he chastised him when he went just before he fought Goliath. His brothers didn't even like him. But here, his family hears what is taking place, and they come to him. And now, I don't know if they were worried that King Saul was going to come and send the guards to kill him to draw David out. I really don't know. But that doesn't really matter. God sent them. And it was uplifting. I started watching this TV show that's called Murder, Guilty or Innocent. And it was just so... It's a really good show. I mean, and me and Amy, we get fired up when we actually watch it. Of course, the season's ended this for this year. But we get fired up because we look at some of these people and we're like, oh my gosh, this person's so innocent and they still end up having to go to jail. Or we had one where I think the person was actually guilty and got let out. We were like going, no. But the last episode, a two-parter, a man, a young brother out of a three, you know, brother and sister that were older, he was accused of killing his mom. And his brother and sister and father, they were like going, oh, we think he did it. And they, pro they testified for the prosecution. And it literally broke his heart. He felt abandoned by his family. Even when they found out that he was innocent and he was acquitted, his family still didn't come back to reunite. What a heartbreaking situation. And this is where you would think that David would be. His family, well, we can't be around you. You're guilty. But they don't. God sends them to him and they reunite. It's just the opposite. And this really had to be super uplifting. The family's with me. 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, or uh, 22, 2. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. Now think about this. God is with him and lifts him up. He sends his family back to him and they reconcile and he's encouraged. But that wasn't all. God sends all these people to David. There literally could have been a whole message about this uh, and the kind of people that Jesus called. Who does Jesus want? He wants the ones that are in debt, in distress, that are uh, discontented, the ones who are poor in spirit, come to me. We could teach a, preach a whole great big two, three-part sermon on that alone. I'll have to save that for another day. This is a whole lot of people who came to David. And the things that they are experiencing... Golly gee willikers, aren't those the same things that he just has been going through? They come to him because they're so sick and tired of Saul. They don't like his reign. They see that he's doing wrong, so they come to David, and he welcomes them with open arms. He became their captain. When God calls a person to do something, and they say yes, do they ever do it alone? No, 
It's not just because God's with them, but he always sends people to help. Think about Noah. Did Noah build that ark by himself? No, he had his family. Did Moses lead the people out of the desert, into the desert by himself and bring them from Egypt? No, he had Aaron and he had Joshua. Just like here, David is going to need help. He's not going to be able to survive on his own. And these people come. And these just aren't any people at all. These are the lowest of the low, the most discouraged people. But what do they become? First Chronicles 12, 8. From the Gadites there came over to David in the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty men of valor, men trained for war who could handle shield and spear and whose faces were like the faces of lions. And they were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. These people turned into men of valor. Now, David could have turned these 400 people into an army, a rebel army that could have attacked Saul and probably won, but he doesn't. He turns them into servants of God. And we know that when you're going through and he's continuing to be chased by Saul. They have him in the grasp and David says, nope, let him go every time. They could have dispatched him, but they don't. 1 Samuel 22, verses 3 and 4. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother come stay with you until I know what God will do for me. Then he left, with the king of Mo left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. David knows his parents aren't cut out for this kind of life. They're going to have to be able to run at a moment's notice. They're going to have to be living in a harsh time where sometimes they may not have food or water. So he takes them to Moab. Now, do you remember who came from Moab? His great-grandmother Ruth. And this is not going to be a short stay per se because he asked the king of Moab to let them stay until he knows what God's going to do with him how God's going to bless him. And this could literally be their lifetime. They could die while living in Moab. Because I don't know if you remember, but God does things in his own time, not ours. And you can't rush God, no matter how hard you try. With all of these great things taken care of and I, I, this, this possible problem taken care of and out of the way, these people with David think, okay, we can stay in this here cave. This would be a good thing. We're protected. But God says, no, it's not in my plan. 1 Samuel 22, 5. The prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, depart, and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Harath. God sent a prophet to tell him that he needed to leave the cave and go basically into Saul's own backyard. Why do I want to do that? Get out of your comfort zone. Don't rely on these things. Don't we feel the same way when God puts something on our hearts? Do we want to get out of our comfort zone? No. We like to sit there and go, okay, well, I hear you calling, but I really don't want to leave. I know that if I do what you ask, I'm going to be blessed, but it could be dangerous. It could be, I could, I could be afraid. I could be scared. 
Can we do what God wants us to do from within our own comfort zones? Maybe. But did you know that if you stay in that comfort zone and try and do what He wants, you're nowhere near as effective as if you do what God asks you to do and go or do what He says? We need to get out and trust in Him and His direction. 1 Samuel 22, verses 6-8. through Then Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. Now Saul was sitting in Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on, on the height with his spear in his hand. And all his servants were standing around him. And Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Hear now, O Benjamites, will the son of Jesse also give to all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? For all of you have conspired against me so that there is no one who discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you who is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in ambush as it is this day. Oh boy. When you think about this right here, what he's saying here, don't you just love his pity party? Don't you just love it? Nobody's for me. All you people do nothing but conspire against me. Nobody even told me my son made this covenant with David. I can't even trust my own son. All of you don't feel sorry for me at all. His mind is so far gone that in his own mind, he has taken everything and turned it 180 degrees. I'm not chasing David to kill him. He's chasing me to kill me and you're not helping. You're not telling me anything. He's making himself out to be the victim. And all of his servants and all of his guards and all of his staff with them have to be looking at him and thinking, have you lost your mind? What is wrong with you? But they're not going to say it because he's got that stupid spear in his hand. And they could, be, they could fall victim to him killing them. They know what he's just accused them of is really not the truth and beyond reality. 1 Samuel 22, verses 9 and 10. Then Doeg, the Edomite, remember him, who was standing by the servants of Saul, said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. He inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Doeg has seen the guards and servants taking the brunt of the abuse of Saul. He's accused them of being treasonous. He's accused them of being dishonest. But he does a very, very clever thing here if you think about it. He takes all that anger that Saul has and shifts the blame. Saul, it's not the guards. It's not your servants. It's not your inner circle. It's the priest. That's who you need to be going after. Not only will this worm of a man give a tainted report, he's going to make himself really look good in front of Saul and in front of all the people that's his inner circle. Remember the last week when David came to the tabernacle? Ahimelech came out to find out from David what was going on, and David lied. Remember? He lied. Well, Doeg is witness to all this. Like I said, he saw and heard everything. 
And David knew there was going to be trouble. He saw it and heard it and gives a twisted report. Twisted just enough that in Saul's mind, he knows just what's going to happen. And David's sin is going to have a massive consequence. It's going to cause the death of innocence. Collateral damage. Unintentional collateral damage. And that's what sin is, remember? You, it's just not you that gets in trouble. Your sin could affect a lot of other people. So here, Doeg spins the account just enough that Saul thinks that Ahimelech has inquired of God how to dispatch him. He asked God to find out how to get rid of you. And not just that, but he gave him food and he gave him the sword of Goliath. Saul has to be really worked up now, especially because he now knows that David's not, if he wasn't afraid of Goliath, he's dang sure not going to be afraid of him. After all, Saul wasn't brave enough to face Goliath himself. 1 Samuel 22, verses 11 through 13. Then the king sent someone to summon Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's household, and the priest who were in Nob. And all of them came to the king, and Saul said, Listen now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. Saul then said to him, Why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me, in that you have given him bread and a sword and have acquired of God for him, so that he would rise up against me by lying in ambush as it is this day. Saul calls for Ahimelech and his entire family, and the priests come along as well. Saul has already made up his mind, hadn't he? He already knows I'm going to take care of this clown. I'm mad. And Saul does not calmly ask him for his side. He doesn't say, can you please explain yourself? Instead, he accuses him of being a traitor also. Proverbs 15.1 A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Did the high priest go, are you out your stinking gourd? What is the matter with you? Did he raise Cain and, and go and defend himself? No. He does just the opposite. He does something totally unexpected. 1 Samuel 22 verses 14 and 15. Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, even the king's son-in-law, who is captain over your guard and as honored in your house? Did I just begin to inquire of God for him today? Far be it from me, do not let the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the household of my father, for your servant knows nothing at all of this whole affair. If Ahimelech had just started off with the last part of this, Saul, I don't know anything. I don't know what you're talking about. He'd have been just fine, but no. He throws in that first part and starts to basically praise David. Saul, who is more faithful than David? He's your son-in-law for crying out loud. The captain of your guard and he goes where you want him to go and he fights for you. He's never done anything against you. And he's even loved by all your, your servants and your people. Can you just see Saul's face? He's probably just burnt red veins popping out of his forehead and flames trying to shoot out of his eyeballs. 
He's probably so mad that if he could kill, Ahimelech would have been dead on the spot, a little puddle of goo by now. Because of David's lie, Ahimelech really knows nothing, does he? He really doesn't know where David went. He does, David told him, he's on a mission from you. Should I have ever have doubted him? Why, Saul, are you so upset and angry? This ignorance is not going to save him, though. 1 Samuel 22, verse 16. But the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's household. Ahimelech probably couldn't believe what his ears just heard. He's going to die. A priest of the Lord is going to be killed. For what reason? Your servant came and told me he was on that mission from you. He claimed he had men that were nearby. And it was a secret mission. Of course I was going to give him food and stuff. I didn't know what was happening. And you're going to kill my entire household for giving that help. 1 Samuel twenty two seventeen. And the king said to the guards who were attending him, Turn around and put the priests of the Lord to death because their hand also was with David and because they knew that he was fleeing and did not reveal it to me. But the servants of the king were not willing to put their, forth their hands to attack the priests of the Lord. His guards would not do the deed they were ordered to do. They just could not bring themselves to kill the innocent. Why would they? They heard what Ahimelech said and they would not commit murder because they had their wits about them. When we listen to unreasonable people make statements about someone we really know well, do you stand up and defend them? Or do you just turn your back and keep quiet? The guards, they said, we're not going to do it. They personally knew David. They have fought under him. They have watched him do everything under the sun that was good for the kingdom, good for Saul. And they watched their king act so unreasonable. They just simply refused. And because of this, 1 Samuel 22, verses 18 and 19, then the king said to Doeg, you turn around and attack the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned around and attacked the priest. And he killed that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. And he struck Nam, the city of the priest, with the edge of the sword, both men and women and children and infants and also ox and donkeys and sheep, he struck with the edge of the sword. Doeg was, was told to kill them and he did it willingly. Pure evil. He probably did it with glee. And it wasn't just the men that were present. Doeg went to Nob and literally killed everything in that city. Just like when God told the Israelites, take out the city of Jericho. Only this was not commanded by God. When David wrote about this incident, we can see what his heart and attitude are when he finds out just what Doeg had done. Psalm 52, verses 1 through 4. For the choir director, a miscal of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said to him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? Mighty man, the loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor. 
oh, worker of deceit. You're, you love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. Selah, you love all words that devour, oh, deceitful tongue. David is just fed up and disgusted with the evil that Doeg has done. Is it not the same with us? Aren't we sick and tired and fed up and disgusted with all the evil things that we see that's taking place in our world? Don't we get angry and, and just right there on the edge? What do we do with it? David is upset, but he turned it over to God. Psalm 52, 5. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living, Selah. David knew that God would deal with this evil man. He does not have to plot revenge. He does not have to force God's hand and, and uh, make sure justice takes place by his hand. We need to know that God will deal with the evil that surrounds us. Evil will not escape punishment. Think about of all the things that we've seen in our world. School shootings, uh, people that just go out and kill for the fun of it. And then they, as the cops are closing in, they commit suicide. <sighs> I don't have to face punishment. I'm not going to face what you have to deal out. Have they escaped punishment? Oh, heavens to Betsy, no. And the punishment they're about to face is probably 200 times more harsh than what man can do. Psalm 52, verses 8 and 9. But as for me... I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give you thanks forever because you have done it and I will wait on your name for it is good in the presence of your godly ones. When we see and deal with evil in our own times, and our own lives, uh, it's okay to be angry. It really is. It's okay. But when we turn it over to the Lord, we need to stop thinking about it. We need to quit dwelling on it. Because what happens when you start thinking and dwelling on it? Does your heart not become a little bit harder? Does your attitude become a little bit more eh and nasty? When we turn it over to God, we need to take our minds off of it now and focus on God. And you know what? That heart and attitude will be lifted up. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to answer for it. They will when they face God. 1 Samuel 22, verses 20 through 23. But the son of Ahimelech, the son of Atub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg of the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. Stay with me. And do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, for you are safe with me. David was grieved. He was grieved and repentant for the lies that he told. He knew that his actions were one of the major reasons why this man's family and everybody he knows is dead. He knew that when he saw Doeg that day, there was going to be trouble, and yet he still didn't come clean with the high priest. He did not give... Ahimelech the opportunity to make a decision to help or not. And knowing the high priest, I'm sure he would have gladly have helped. I'm sure that he could have stood proud before God 
And he could have stood proud in front of Saul and said, you're darn right I helped. He still may have died, but at least it would have been his choice to do it. And that brings us to the last thought that I have for this morning. And I want to go back to 1 Samuel 21.7 and give us all something to think about for this, this next week. Now, one of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doag, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. Did you notice that both Doag and David were before the Lord? They were in the house of God at the tabernacle. In the current everyday language, both David and Doag attended church together. They were there together. And they may not have been sitting in little pews like we do here, but they were there and they were standing before the Lord. Look at the different direction Doeg took compared to the direction that David took. Do you understand the distinction between the two? Doeg went into the house of the Lord and he heard the word of God, but it never went into his heart. Think about that. Someone could come into the house of the Lord and sit in these pews and hear the word of God and not allow it to sink in to their heart and go out and live the way God wants. If we don't let the Word touch our lives and, and, and sink into our hearts, we could become just like Doeg. We literally can. If God has laid something on your heart to repent, to answer to a calling, whatever, don't shut it out of your heart and your ears and be just like Doeg in the future. Instead, be like David, who was in the house of the Lord. He heard the word of God and he let it into his heart. And when he stumbled and fell down, he got right back up and continued to follow God. It's hard. He listened to the Lord's voice and followed after him still. Remember, he's a man after God's own heart. If you find yourself on the path of Doeg, full of bitterness and not wanting to listen to the Lord's voice, wanting to make yourself look better in the eyes of men, I implore you to change that path, to reconsider your course and follow the voice of the Lord. If you won't, just remember the path Doeg chose is the path of destruction. And you'll face the same consequences he's going to face. When we think about that and we look at Proverbs 4, verses 11 through 19, I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. And if you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction and do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on for they cannot sleep unless they do evil. And they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. That light shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. It is no different in our time in the lives that we live here, if we are paying attention to God's voice 
and we are walking down His path. He never said it's going to be easy. We will still run into things on that path. We learned about that this morning in, in Sunday school. Those things that we run across, some things you might just be able to stumble on and, and twist an ankle a little bit. Some things are a little bit bigger and some things are a bit bigger that you can hurt yourself on and some things you run across might be just so impossible. But God is in every one of those. And when we look back on our own life's path, you can see them stumbling, the big old stones and stumbling things that were in your path. And you can look at it and you can say, I remember that. God was there for me. God lifted me up. God did this. Does that mean you ever want to go back and face those issues again? No. But you never want to forget it because it's those times when you're facing those situations that you're closest to God. And that's where we always want to be. Let's go to prayer.